0: Great to have a uh, full house this morning. Who struggled to find a seat? It's good to have you here. Today marks one of two possible things. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is either the absolute epicenter of human history, the one event that shines a brilliant light over absolutely everything and puts everything in perspective or it's absolutely nothing. It cannot be a bit of both. So taking a few moments, a few minutes this morning to consider the resurrection of Jesus, this can be the most important few minutes of your life. So don't vague out. Tune in. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 8 He also appeared to me. In this passage, the Apostle Paul clearly lays this out for us. He says, For what I have received I passed on to you as of first importance. Namely, that is that Jesus is the Christ. He is the promised Messiah, the Saviour, who died, was buried and was raised to life. And he goes on to say what I just said, that this is either everything... Or it's nothing. If it didn't happen, then he and the other apostles are liars, his whole message is false, faith in Jesus is futile, and those who have lived for Jesus and then died are just lost. You see, it's everything or nothing. But can I tell you, friends, it's everything it is everything and i want to show today why it's everything and how it changes everything see paul knows that jesus resurrection is astonishing news and that some people would find it hard to believe if they had smartphones back then someone would have replied pics or it never happened you know they would have been other words saying prove it so paul lays out what he has He has, and we have two pieces of compelling evidence right here in this passage. The first piece is that Paul writes that it all happened according to the Scriptures. So the fact that Jesus' death and resurrection were predicted beforehand points to something quite supernatural going on. There's a lot of, of ways that the Old Testament foretells Jesus' death and resurrection. But if you look at just one look with me at isaiah chapter 53 i'm going to read it out to you today isaiah chapter 53 which says who has believed that he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the lord been revealed for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him he was despised and rejected by men Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who consider that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave the wicked, uh, with the wicked and with the, a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, was put, he, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt... yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That was written hundreds of years before Jesus even walked the earth. But the foretelling of this event that changed everything is also there in the stories of Noah and Abraham and Joseph and Job and Jonah and Daniel and more. And after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to two dejected disciples on the road to Emmaus. Devastated at his death, they had concluded that he must actually have been nothing, though they would hoped he was everything. And Jesus, Jesus met them on that road to Emmaus. And he explained to them from the scriptures that, of course, the Messiah had to suffer and then rise. Now, if I hit a golf ball, right, I I play golf poorly and not often. But if I hit a golf ball and it goes out of bounds, that happens a lot. Um, But if it goes out of bounds, hits a moving car, comes back in bounds, hits a tree, and then goes on to roll into the hole, then that's a pretty good fluke, isn't it? Now, if I called it before I hit the ball and I said, car, tree, roll, hole, and then hit the ball, I'd be a much better golfer than you think I am. (laughs) And so, what Jesus did was called by God. God calls the resurrection in advance. Just like if you call a shot in snooker, you say, pink ball, top corner pocket. And he hit the ball and it goes in, that's skill. It's not a fluke. You called it in advance. God called it in advance. He called the shots in advance, and then he delivered. That's what God did. He caused the resurrection in advance. And it was no fluke. It was ordained. And the second bit of evidence that Paul gave us, gives us in this passage is that this letter to the Corinthians was one of the first and earliest books of the New Testament to be written. And when he says that Jesus appeared to more than 500 followers at the same time, he adds, most of whom are still living. He's clearly implying, if you don't believe me, go and ask one of those 500 eyewitness testimonies people who can testify who saw it themselves go and ask one of them they're still living go and see them hear for yourself many were later put on trial and even killed for their faith but we've got no record of any of them ever recanting what they said that they saw you know, this week I came across a quote from Charles W. Colson. He was an aged President Nixon and known in the 70s as the White House Hatchet Man and was feared even by the most powerful politicos during his four years of service to Nixon. He was actually the first member of the Nixon administration to be incarcerated for Watergate-related charges after pleading guilty to obstruction of justice. Just before he went to prison he became a Christian and as a new Christian this is what he said he said I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me how because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years never once denying it every one of them was beaten tortured stoned and put in prison they would never have endured they would not have endured that if it weren't true watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks you're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years absolutely impossible not a bad quote Not a bad way to think about things. See, both of these evidences are strong. Eyewitness testimony and God called it beforehand. And and as Christians, we're not just wishful thinkers or believers in fairies. There's more biblical and historical evidence, of course, but also if we look up from our Bibles and we look around, we look around the room, we look around the world, There's more evidence than even just what I've said, those two points. Author and evangelist, Glenn Scrivener, puts it well. He he writes, We live in a life from the dead universe. Everything about your daily reality screams at you that you live in an Easter kind of world. And it points to an Easter kind of God. Everything has come from nothing, order has come from chaos life has come from non-life conscious minds have come from mindless matter all of these are life over death miracles all life has risen from the dead and i encourage anyone who doubts to look into it investigate you know we're not trying to get anyone to have a faith that's make-believe our faith is informed it's based on facts, facts that are actually call us out of a fantasy life that so many people lead. Paul says the same thing. If Christianity is all just uh, stories for inspiration to help people through this life, we are to be pitied, not listened to. But I don't just want to tell you that it's true, that it's everything. I want to point out how it changes everything obviously jesus rising from the dead puts a seal on his claims to be the son of god it validates all of his teaching and should send us back to reread everything he said and to take it as gospel even when he spoke people often remarked that he taught with a natural authority how much more does his resurrection put the stamp of authenticity and authority on everything he said? It means that God is just like Jesus says he is. It means that life is just like Jesus says it is. And it means that the way to full and eternal life is the way that Jesus shows us. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't just show us the way he made a way for us he didn't just say here's how to live the best kind of life or this is the kind of life that god approves of he said i am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me john 14 6 it puts him at the center instead of us And this really changes everything on the deepest level. Let me try and explain why. Many of us are searching for, I guess you could call it the formula of life. The great algorithm. And it goes a bit like this. If you do ABC, then you will get XYZ. It's the basis of advertising, of course if you buy our product then you'll become attractive secure and satisfied but it's the basis of religion too if you make this certain sacrifice then god will be pleased with you and make your crops grow well it's the basics the basis of magic and paganism if you say the spell correctly if you get the ingredients of the potion right then hey presto And everyone wants to know what the formula is. And so we're always fussing around asking, is this a sin? Is that a sin? Is this allowed or not? Or exactly how bad is it if I do this? Or how good is it if I do that? Or or what exactly is the reward again? We try to figure it out. Now sometimes there's good news when a formula changes. Imagine you're a farmer... And the formula is, if you produce a ton of wheat, then you get $500. But if the formula changes, and suddenly it's if you produce a ton of wheat, then you get $800, that's good news, right? But let's try to get our minds around this. Jesus' death and resurrection hasn't just changed the numbers so that the sins we've been, have been discounted and the reward increased, it's changed the whole structure of the formula. It doesn't begin with if you at all. It begins with since Jesus. Since the coming of Jesus, his triumph over sin and death, the outpouring of his spirit, since his unilateral work to offer us reconciliation to God, then all sorts of new things are possible. Paul later wrote to the Romans, Romans 12:1, in the view of God's mercy, see how that's a sense, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. John 8:35 and 36 says, Everyone who is a Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a child belongs to it forever. So, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. So, we no longer need to live with a set of scales dangling over our heads or some grand calculator. And we've got better things to do than argue endlessly about who is better than who or agonize endlessly over what is better than what. We can let go of the whole pagan view of God as a machine that we program by offering the right kind of inputs to get the outputs that we want. Jesus is the living God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he has made a way for us to live freely in his kingdom as children of God and he invites everyone, even the least and most undeserving, to be part of the whole new and good and lasting thing that he is building. That's the scale I'm talking about when I say this changes everything. Can you see how it does? I wonder... Has it changed everything for you? There's still a way to go before it changes everything for the whole world, but God's plan to renew and redeem everything is not machine-like, it's personal. His plan is to win people over to Him, personally, one person at a time. And to change our hearts and minds and release us from the endless treadmill and anxiety of if-then living. That's barely living. His plan is to empower us to be representatives of his kingdom. His kingdom of love, truth, justice, mercy and blessing. A kingdom of hope. You know, when I was younger, I didn't have a really good grasp on what it means to be a Christian i knew i loved jesus but how did that play out practically you know i heard all of these things about what a good christian does all these good behaviors you know like the external examples or evidences that you've been saved you know some people call that fruit and they're all good they're all virtuous fruit to display in your life and so i was i was concerned with making sure that I did all the things. I made sure I would read my Bible, that I prayed, that I went to Bible studies, that I went to church on twi- twice on Sunday for years. The holiest people go twice on Sunday, don't they? Yep. <laughs> That's right. I-, I went to youth group. I invited all my friends to youth group. See, all of these things were good things. They were all the right things. But i wasn't sure that they were for the right motivations or the right reasons See, deep, deep down i didn't feel free at times i struggled with sinful thoughts sinful actions sinful words and how they connect or impact my standing with jesus until i learned more i even used to wonder if i could lose my salvation and how many sins or what severity of sin could knock my name out of the book. I used to have this image in my mind of God's great whiteboard with all my sins written on it. And out of fear, I would so often pray, God, please forgive me and wipe away all those sins of that whiteboard. You know, And what I recognize now is that was a heart of faith. That was evidence of my salvation however i didn't grasp the concept of god's great mercy of his grace i didn't grasp that concept of grace at all or or of my justification i didn't feel free i felt like i constantly had to do those things to earn god's favor to keep the whiteboard as clean as possible by trying the hardest i could not to sin i thought that if i did the good things a christian does then maybe that would outweigh the bad things and so again i could earn god's favor what i was stuck in was a mind trapped by religion i was trapped in a christian version of if then and i was trying to do it all in my own strength and by my own effort and i completely missed the freedom of the gospel and the grace of jesus and once i understood that Everything changed for me. I discovered what it truly means to be free. See, I was free not to sin. I was free from the slavery of religion. I was free from the pressure and expectation and of measuring up to an external standard or somebody else's standard By the grace of God through faith in Jesus and nothing else was I saved. That is the utter relief of the gospel. Utter relief. And when you truly understand that, as someone who who grew up as a Christian and has loved Jesus from my first memory... That was what brought me freedom since Jesus, since Jesus. By the grace of God, through faith in Jesus and nothing else, am I saved and become part of God's family. You can become part of God's family. He wants that very much. He wants you very much. But you don't get it by getting the formula just right. You get it by receiving it gratefully as God's gift. You don't achieve it, you can only receive it. And that's sometimes a problem for rich and strong people who are used to earning It's easier for kids who are used to getting gifts. But whether it's easier or awkward for you, it is offered to you today. You can find your place in God's family, in Christ's kingdom, and He really is King. It's true. It's everything. It changes everything. Hallelujah. You know, if you want to align your life with this truth, and this love, this freedom, and this great hope that we have in Jesus, then we, are as, we as a church are here to help with that, and I'd love to talk to you. So if that's something you would like to do, align yourself with Jesus today, maybe for the first time, then please come and see me after we finish with a song in just a moment. But first, let me pray. God, I, I am standing before you in awe and wonder at your grace and your mercy. That, Lord, you would send your Son to pay the penalty for my sins once and for all and that you make this offer to us of salvation by faith alone. By your grace Through faith in Jesus and nothing else are we saved and become part of your family. Gone is the if-then way of thinking and of living. We do not have to earn your favour because everything is since Jesus. Since Jesus, all things are possible. All things are new since jesus no longer if i do this or do that it's since jesus has, he has done it all and so lord we thank you for that that grace we thank you that we can celebrate victory over death today and that jesus your life truly does change everything for us gone is the the struggle of religion of trying to earn your favour. Lord, we cannot do it. Whilst we were still sinners, Jesus died for us when we didn't deserve it and we still don't. And so, Lord, I want to thank you for the truth in Jesus, the love that's been poured out, that we can, can be made new in you and be part, become part of your family by your great invitation. We can't earn it, we can only receive it. And so, Lord, I pray we would receive it afresh and new today. We would receive your gracious gift, your offer of mercy. We would receive salvation from our sins today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.